0: And now, from the University of Chicago Institute of Politics and CNN, The Axe Files, with your host, David Axelrod.
1: Four years ago, Beth Myers and I only knew each other by reputation. She was the senior advisor for Mitt Romney's campaign for president, and I was the... uh, senior strategist for Barack Obama's re-election campaign. And I only got to know Beth at campaign recap forums uh, after the election. And we became really good friends. And I saw in her someone who was deeply passionate about politics for the right reasons. I didn't agree with her on a bunch of stuff, but I really came to admire her and uh, her uh, career in politics. She's now a member of the advisory board of the Institute of Politics. She's been a fellow at the Institute of Politics. I sat down with her the other day to talk about state of the Republican Party in this very interesting election. Beth Myers, my friend, it's good to see you. I can't help but think what we were doing four years ago uh, when you were working for Mitt Romney and I was working for Barack Obama. I must say, I kind of like <laughs> having this perspective right now, but... Uh, I'm sure I'm speaking for you as well.
0: Absolutely, this is a, uh, a a presidential race. I'm not terribly unhappy to be sitting out of.
1: We're going to get to that, but I want to start uh, by asking you about your beginnings in politics. You moved around. You lived in Ohio. You lived in. You were born in North Carolina. Lived in Ohio, and went to Tufts in Massachusetts. Were you always interested in politics? Was that something that you knew you wanted to do?
0: No. Um I was at an English major at Tufts. My family, yes, we my dad was a professor at Ohio State University and then left that when I was nine years old and we went what did he teach? Mechanical engineering. Ah, so yes. the apple Eng- fell English far and from English
1: and <laughs> mechanical engineering, the, the the typical entryways into politics. Right.
0: Yeah. Um my fam both my parents are from West Virginia and I spent a lot of my summers there. And so a lot of my formative thoughts came from from the time i spent in west virginia my grandfather there was very active in politics at a local level uh he was in roane county west virginia which was sort of a lone outlier republican county yeah in, west virginia in west was virginia. very democrat very democrat then roane county was very republican and you could tell the difference when you entered roane county because the, the roads got highways got a little bumpier. <laughs> um but uh i went to tufts was an english major I was not a young Republican. Um, my boyfriend was in a rock band, and I worked, paying myself through, putting myself through college in a in a live music club. So I spent most of my nights, um, in one way or another, at clubs.
1: And then Ronald Reagan was kind yeah. of a rock star for you.
0: Yeah, I I kind of came got into got interested in politics by I mean in the late 70s there was a great conservative intellectual m- movement. I mean, we were read- I was reading people like um, Dictators and Double Standards by Gene Kirkpatrick and William F. Buckley, uh, early George Will stuff. And there was just a lot of interesting uh, ideas, that the Viennese e- economists. I mean, once you kind of started going down that rabbit hole, um, you know, Ayn Rand's fiction, all that was really great. When I was taking classes, I, would, I took a lot of philosophy classes, and the 20th century Marcuse Foucault they they just didn't resonate with me at all and I started reading conservative writers and I thought yeah I, I get this and it was it really turned me on and I I was working at this bar and one of the bartenders um, was hired by John Connolly for president and he, he had talked to me he knew I was a Republican too or a conservative and and since I was the only other conservative he knew, he asked if I wanted to work on the presidential. Campaign. <laughs> Not a lot of
1: conservatives on the Tufts no. campus.
0: No, th- and this was a bar between Harvard Square and Central Square, so we were we were right in the in the thick of things, in Cambridge. And so he asked me if I wanted. He so you me. did.
1: You keep the uh, conservative thing on the download? Would it have hurt your tips?
0: Uh no no nothing would have hurt my tips. Um, it, <laughs> it was it was it was loud music. Um, there weren't a lot of conversations. about... I see. Okay. Um loud. Uh, about philosophical things at, at Jack's Bar in Cambridge in the 70s. But, um, no, he, he called me and said, would, at, when I was actually on a shift at the bar, and said, would you be interested in working for the John Colony for president? I said, sure. And he said, well, we're on our way over. I'm over, on my way over with Chip Andrews, and we'll interview you. And hmm. so I was interviewed for my first pre- presidential campaign wearing a rub- rugby shirt and jeans, and they hired me. Um, and it was great in to In a hide. bar?
1: Did you? Did they pretty interview much, you there?
0: Pretty much in the bar, hired in the bar, um, quit the bar that pretty much that night after, and then went to work on the campaign and. Um,
1: the way that thing ended, you probably ended up in a bar too. Right? Ended
0: up in a bar. Actually, we mean, had what, a great time. We raised a lot though. of dough. We had. It was a wonderful experience because the the I'm still one of the people that I worked with on that campaign was Charlie Baker, who is now our governor of in Massachusetts, Massachusetts. Yeah, and and dare I say the most popular governor in the United States and doing a fantastic job so it's, as, as in politics the people that you meet along the way are are wonderful and and you know have interesting futures and you don't know it then but but um, you know it was really fun that was that was working with Charlie back when we were we were puppies was was a lot of fun and then I I sort of raised my hand to the Reagan campaign and said hey I, that was kind of a fun job so I will I'd love to come and work for you guys and uh, they hired me. You weren't the only
1: one, right? Didn't Jim Baker move from, wasn't he with John Conley?
0: No, uh, James Brady was. Brady, I mean. Yeah, and right. actually that James, was the James person Brady, that I had met and, yeah. and reached out to him. Jim
1: Brady, who yeah. was a uh, really, really well-liked press secretary yeah. for John Conley.
0: Wonderful. Um,
1: and got embraced by uh, yeah. by Reagan.
0: And so he was the person actually, you know, originally had reached out to Um I got hired by the Reagan folks. They thought that the right person, place to send a person who had never been west or south of Ohio was Texas, and so off I went. Um, my father gave me really good advice. It was you know the. Worst you think thing. they
1: thought that he was going to do so well down there that you couldn't screw it up?
0: It no, it was a battle. It was a battleground state. Um, look, there was one elected f- statewide. That's true. At there that was, time, John Tower was the senator, and yeah. Bill Clements was the first it's Republican true. governor. Texas to hadn't turned yet. No, it had not. But my boss was Carl Rove, and he did.
1: Was Carl working exclusively in Texas then?
0: Yes, Carl mm-hmm. was the head of Texas Victory Committee, um, TVC. We worked in a funeral home. <laughs> um, the one that of sounds them- kind of portentous, it was doesn't it? Really weird. Yeah. Um, but the victory committee was in the basement where the slab was. There was still a slab, <laughs> and that was somebody's desk, which is really creepy. And the first floor, and then the second floor, was the Reagan campaign, um, and so it was a big deal. The governor of Texas put his name on the line. His friend George Bush um, was the VP, and he went all out. Um, Bill Clement, said, Bill Clements, yeah. and his wife Rita, um, both powerful forces in the Republican part in the Republican Party of Texas, and and getting it to the state to change from. D to R. Um, and my job was to do get out the vote in all of the non-urban s- counties. Mm-hmm. And so I was uh, – non-urban meaning um, outside of Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston. San Antonio, and Houston. Mm-hmm. And I traveled all over that state, and I got to know Which Texas. Which is a big state. It's a huge state. I to, and I, I got to know those counties like the back of my hand and um went back and worked there in 82 for Governor Clements's re-election when he lost and then again in 86 when he Good won Good
1: experience, isn't it? To-
0: Loved it. I mean, there was nothing there was nothing better than, you know, diving right in. What did you learn from Carl? Um, well, Carl was one of, you know, I, I feel very lucky I had three mentors and I'll tell you about all three of them, but Carl was the first and what I learned from Carl was was details and determination. Um I mean, he was—he was just the same as he—an enthusiasm. Um, he was determined to win that state um, for Ronald Reagan, and we were not going to leave a single stone unturned. He would come into my office and ask me about how we were doing in Comanche County, and if I didn't know it off the top of my head, you know, he wanted. So you see that eye. slab down there? Yeah. <laughs> 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 so. You know, I, 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 at the end of the campaign, I put together this notebook for him, um, which is half handwritten because you know we were—that's the way you did it in 1980. There wasn't right. computers or anything. And I, I've, I was clearing things out, and I found that the other day, and. You know, I looked at. It, I thought folks
1: here in Chicago didn't keep any notes, but I'm just. But I'll take your word. For
0: it, it hasn't changed. <laughs> Things haven't changed that much. I mean, there's a lot. You know, voter contact was. Yeah. You know, the, the we were looking for the way to touch people in the most personal way you could, and um, that's
1: really. I think what people don't understand is that what the mo- what social media allows you to do and what data allows you to do, uh, what uh, what mobile communications allows you to do, is actually. Connected to what you did back in the 80s and what people have been doing for hundreds of years, which is going door to door and making the case. It's just you have a lot more information uh, with which to approach those doors about the voter and who might be receptive to your message. I mean,
0: we were doing something very sophisticated at the time. We were collecting the data that we got from our phone banks And sending different letters, so if you were an undecided voter, you got a different letter than if you were a favorable voter, and they were all hand addressed. Um, And that was, but that was really a a very um, progressive step in voter contact at the time.
1: Yeah, and uh, I'm interested what you what caused you to put your hand up for Reagan. He was going to be the nominee, so that that alone could have been that. But was there something about Reagan that you found? particularly inspiring because a lot of people yeah. conservatives today who are people like you leaders in the Republican Party point to Reagan the way democrats like me of a certain age point to John F Kennedy right. and say that's why I got into pol- politics or why I got enthused about it
0: yeah after, after you know after the primary campaign it seemed like a v- Actually, I was, of course twenty three I was not caught up in anything very sophisticated um, level. weren't of, the
1: strategists for the campaign?
0: No, no, no. no. Um, and it seemed like the the normal thing to do. Um, okay, my guy lost. I want to go work for the guy that won and mm-hmm. there, there was and I was welcomed by the way. Mm-hmm. there w- was like, of course, well, you know we've got somebody who who actually learned how to do this stuff. Well, so, Reagan.
1: Embraced George H. Yeah. W. Bush as his vice presidential nominee. He got Jim Baker, the the Jim ba- not Jim Brady, but Jim Baker, right. as well in the in the deal, and um, and uh, really uh, did embrace a lot of the Republican Party um, and it talent a big and establishment.
0: Tent. Yeah, I mean it was a big tent. Remember that was that was sort of there was no sense of exclusion. There was no sense of. Um, if you're not with us 100%, you're not with us enough. If you were with, you know, Reagan famously said, if you're with me 80%, you know, you're with me. Mm -hmm. And so it was a very, very natural thing to do. I never felt like I was one of the Connolly people. I was a Reagan person from the minute that I um, raised my hand. And that was great. It was a lot of fun.
1: And you went to Washington after that?
0: No, never worked in Washington. Uh After that... um, I went to work for the second... You
1: stayed in Texas?
0: No, no, I left. Okay. All right, I'll stop guessing. Why don't Boston... I let you
1: answer the yeah. question?
0: I went back to Boston for a few months or a few... Actually, I don't know how many months. But, um, And then I went to work at Market Opinion Research in Detroit oh. for um, Bob Teeter. Bob Teeter, yeah. Second one of the man re- that I... really, really yeah, towering
1: he's, figures in he was Republican a, polling.
0: Yeah, he was, he was the person that I really... Another person that I, I view as one of um, my mentors. And... Uh, absolutely a towering figure, a respected, you know, a man of impeccable integrity. And I actually learned at Market Opinion Research, um, I was doing, they had a... a How'd you end
1: up there? Did you know you wanted to go into polling or...
0: No, and I wasn't actually there for polling, although I went there, they were doing a, a, a project on Get Out the Vote and Voter Contact out of their polling firm. They were trying you know sort of expand Mm -hmm. their service line and i did that in 82 and i was the um and they kept me on and i learned at that from you know in 83 um how to do polling and i learned how to pull tables and i learned a little bit about statistics and i learned a little bit about sampling which at that point was done with a bunch of phone books in a room and um it was it was a great education. Yeah, that's because, valuable experience. Yeah, I mean, I, I I learned polling from you know a true pollster, a statistician, who had a team of statisticians: Fred Steeper, Alex Gage, Will yeah, Feltis. Right. These are all guys and um. Who, these
1: guys, just for those who who don't know, these guys were sort of the go-to guys in Republican polling in their generation. Uh, the way Peter Hart was on the Democratic side.
0: Right. And so I was, I was, you know, the 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 young kid in the corner as and and kept my mouth shut and my ears and eyes open and learned a ton in the time I was in the three years I was in Detroit, and then I left uh, Market Opinion Research and went back to Boston to work for Ray Shammy for United States Senate against it, Ted Kennedy. No, that was Jeez. in eighty two, in eighty four, uh, for the open seat that oh, was ultimately so Carrie, won. This uh, the The seat that uh, Kerry won, right? And it was a that was a fun campaign where I met my third mentor, Arthur Finkelstein, yeah, who uh, is a towering figure. And I laugh; he's he's a great friend still. Um, And he he really the first time he met me, he didn't really like me because I came from his his rival, Bob Teeter, and
1: Arthur Finkelstein was sort of the he he was on the conservative end of the Republican Party. Interesting guy, very flamboyant personality, and uh, kind of take-no-prisoners sort of... Yeah. ...sort of pollster.
0: He had a very different approach than uh, Mr. Teeter. And uh, Arthur, though, was... He's so brilliant, and he's mentored so many people who are prominent in the field today. Uh, We had a, a party for him in New York a couple years ago, just all his acolytes, and it was a roast. Um, but it was an amazing room full of people. And um, what I learned from Arthur really was uh, an entirely different way to read polls. So I feel like I learned how to read polls from two of the masters in, in, in two very different ways.
1: Was he more strategic or?
0: Yeah, I mean, he didn't pull tables. Mm-hmm. He didn't. He you j- he just like threw the book of crosstabs at you. And then he'd go through the cross tabs. you mm-hmm. know. He would have gone through them first, and then he'd say, "Turn to page one hundred and seventy-six, and look mm-hmm. at this at this little piece. Yeah. And you're going to see something interesting." And um, that was a really different way. I mean, he he, um, and and I said to him after my first meeting, "Everything you just did makes so much sense to me." And and we've been great friends since.
1: And um, you took, I know. I, I want to stop guessing, but I know that you <laughs> went to law school and you practiced law for a while and um, yeah. raised kids.
0: Yeah, I went down um, to Texas to work for for uh, Bill Clements in '86 in the in the rematch against Mark White, where he won. And then I um, uh, went to law school, met my husband, and my intention was just to go down to Texas and then go back to Boston. But I met my husband. And went to law school at SMU and worked at Aiken Gump for a few years, um, and then we did go back to Boston. Um, I worked in state government there as the as the chief of staff to the state treasurer, and um, and then took a took a break and went to and did the most important job that I ever did, which was being a full time mom,
1: and got coaxed out of that by Mitt Romney.
0: Yes, after five years of. Of happy a, happy stay-at-home mom. Of parenting, huh? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and, in fact, uh, Mitt had asked me if I would run his campaign for governor in 2002, and I declined. Um, Did you know him? I had met him in 94 when he ran for Senate. And, you know, everyone in Boston knew Mitt Romney. He was sort of one of the most um, well-known figures around town. Uh, he'd started, he'd worked at Bain mm-hmm. Consulting. He started Bain Capital. And yeah, I mean, he was, he and Anne were very prominent civic figures. Um, but no, I didn't know him well. Um, I kind of laughed because he went, I, I told him, no, I won't, I can't run your campaign. I'm, I'm a full-time mom. And, um, but I'll help you out. And he basically gave me the keys to his house while he was back, went back to Utah. And I went threw a lot of his things in, the, in his basement from his old campaign and s- set up a few things um, until he hired his, his campaign manager and brought on Mike Murphy to as a consultant. Um, so we, I laid the groundwork. And then I disappeared for months until he was doing debate prep. And he put a, a, a big emphasis on debate prep because he had um, – Kennedy had... Uh, it had been a bad... It hadn't been one of the better that was That was
1: the sort of pivotal moment in that campaign was yeah. the Kennedy-Romney debates where Kennedy, the old master, kind of schooled him.
0: He felt he needed more prep mm-hmm. the to- second time around. We'll leave it at that. And so um, <laughs> I took over that job, and I and he was running against a woman named Shannon O'Brien, and she was very, very uh, on message, and I transcribed everything she said, and, and I would... Um, We'd do these mock debates, and I would read what she Had said. you ever done debate prep before? or no. was this something new? something new um, and and, um, and then I'd always hit him really hard. and so so you
1: played Shannon O'Brien in these debates I played
0: him the mean a much meaner Shannon O'Brien than the real <laughs> shannon O'Brien and so in mid and she's had, pretty tough. she's tough, but I was she I was mean. Um, that's kind
1: of the way though you have to do debate prep you don't want to prepare you you kind of prepare for the worst and hope for the best
0: that's right and when they had their first debate I I kind of guessed. we had done a mock debate the day before and she had sort of three openings she gave and three closings she'd given in the primaries and I guessed at what her opening would be and what her closing would be and I did that the day before and I was right and so Mitt her she opened the debate and heard virtually exactly what I had said the night before and he had and that gave him you know he, he knew exactly where to go and he had a series of good debates and ironically where the 94 debates uh, the debate with Kennedy might have impacted his race in 2002 the debate w- um, moderated by Tim Russert with Shannon O'Brien probably tipped mid over the edge um, to victory so uh, then in he,
1: in, a, in a state that you had us you've had a Tradition in Massachusetts of Republican and Democratic governors. Yeah. I think he was in a string of Republican yes. governors. But, uh, but still, uh, not an easy state. It's tough state. It's
0: never an easy state.
1: So Mitt Romney won that election, and uh, you were going to go back to your life. Yeah. And then what happened?
0: Um, Mitt asked to meet me, and I thought he was going to ask me to do some, be the party chair. And he asked me to be his chief of staff. And I, Which is a real job. It's a real job,
1: not to denigrate party chair.
0: And but party chair is a part-time job, right. and chief of staff is a full-time job. Um, as At I, least, as I reminded him, I still had those two pesky kids to take care of, and while they were old, you know, old enough to, and they were not giving me any trouble, I really was committed to being home in the what moms know as the witching hour between five thirty and eight thirty to do dinner and homework with them and wasn't willing to give that up. So I said to Mitt that, you know, if I could, if he thought I could be a chief, an effective chief of staff, I would probably be the first person in the office in the morning because I'm an early person, um, but that I'd have to like leave the office at five o'clock every day. And could he live with that? And he said, let's give it a whirl. And I'm not sure it would have worked for every office holder, but it worked for Mitt and I and Mitt and me. And, and, um, I did that for almost four years, and I don't think there were more than a handful of times that I had I couldn't, I, I couldn't live up to my commitment of, of leaving to take care of my kids.
1: What, what was it like? What was it like working uh, with him?
0: It was great. I mean, he, um, it was very clear what he wanted my job as chief of staff to be, and that was to make sure he got the information to make the decisions from the secretariat's um, got both sides of the issue, um, so if there was a problem, he didn't want to hear what everybody thought was the solution. He wanted to hear the pros and the cons. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we did was sometimes we found out that bad ideas were presented well and good ideas were presented poorly. So we we had a, an in-house policy group that if if we were going to discuss an issue, both sides had to had to bring it through to our policy group so that the pros and cons were presented in a in a fair way to Mitt, and that sort of resonated later to when I was doing the VP vetting I, I felt that it was when the same for president yeah that it was the same it was the same task that he wanted me to do to be a, a fair arbiter and make sure that all of the that he didn't want me to make a decision or even have an opinion necessarily as in that role um, but bring the information to him and then the would he
1: consult to, with you after
0: oh sure I mean I, I he was always interested in in, in Opinions, but or he wanted
1: you to run the process.
0: But I, but I, he, he, he was mostly interested in making sure that all sides were heard from.
1: So, I think back to Mitt Romney in that period of time, and he was kind of your classic moderate Republican uh, in many ways. I mean, he, he, they, they, there was a local sort of cap and trade thing going on in the Northeast.
0: Reggie,
1: he was. Uh, uh, he, he took a moderate uh, position on uh, issues like uh, gun control, even on uh, abortion, about which I'm sure he had very strong feelings, but he was governing a state with a—and he, and he, he dealt with all of that. The reason I ask you that is because um, it seemed that he needed to figure—and he, of course, famously did health reform in Massachusetts and developed a health exchange there— seems like he had to kind of contend with the Republican Party nationally that was different than the Republican Party in Massachusetts and that was a challenge uh as he moved forward as a presidential candidate in 2008
0: Yeah I I think Mitt Romney was an unlikely presidential candidate uh he didn't it was not a natural fit for a northerner Somewhat moderate governor of a of a blue state to be the standard bearer for a party where that it was southern um, uh, and more conservative than perhaps he was. But
1: his dad was quite actually, you know, by today's standards was quite progressive uh, as governor of Michigan, George Romney.
0: You know, you you also forget though we had a lot of things that that happened um, that. Gave Mitt an opportunity to really voice his position in in the conservative world. Gay marriage started in Massachusetts, and Mitt was opposed. Um, that was a big deal. I mean, he was opposed, but he his his mandate to me was to make sure that he was that it was executed well, that it was going to happen. And that there was nothing really to stop, no way to stop it. It, it had, to, I think we had 90 days or 120 days to execute it. And there were a lot of things that the, the Supreme Court um, mandate was for the legislature to make such laws as to in, in make this happen. They enacted zero laws. So it was all done through the executive. And, you know, I'm pretty proud of the way we, we handled that because... Even though the governor was opposed to it and made no bones about that, um, you would have to look hard hard to find anyone any gay couple that felt that their rights were trampled but, on. In Massachusetts. But conservatives
1: probably looked at that what what you would and and I think rightly so portray as fair minded governance would look at that and say, gee, he didn't he didn't do enough to obstruct this. He didn't.
0: Well, there was a there was definitely a, a group that. Um, felt that that the Supreme Court didn't have the right to to do what they did. That was a pretty small, um, the, the Massachusetts Supreme Court. Yes, mm-hmm. um, and but most conservatives viewed Mitt's opposition and attempt to make a to uh, do a ballot petition and work legislatively to uh, make changes that were necessary. Do you
1: think did he shift at all during that the, the- the no. last years of his, his no. governorship as he thought about running for president?
0: No. Shipped on, on that on issue? It, not
1: on that issue. On, on, on I mean, when you're about to run for for president, if you're a governor, I'm sure that things come, particularly governor of Massachusetts, where you have to take that into account.
0: Um, yeah, but um, the issues, for instance, health care. I mean, I think one of the things that Mitt wanted to do to make sure that happened before he considered a run for presidency, they said he had he left his in, an impact on the state. And worked closely
1: with Ted Kennedy. Actually, worked on
0: very closely with Ted Kennedy, and, and it was sort of a a um a perfect time to make that happen in Massachusetts because of our unique situation with the uh, something an obscure thing called the uncompensated care pool and a waiver that we got for for uh, Medicaid and. Uh, and the fact that we had a senior senator with enough clout, and a, and a um, uh, health and human services secretary that Mitt was good friends with and willing to work with, Mike Levitt. So there was this really unique situation, and, and and we had a problem that we looked at for a year before Mitt committed to doing it. We looked at it and said, can can we solve this? And the answer was yes. We could solve it for Massachusetts.
1: When it became, uh, when he ran for president, in 2012, that became an issue for him within the Republican Party. Because the truth is, um, th- there was there were aspects of that Massachusetts plan that really were a model, and a lot, and there were people who worked on the Massachusetts plan who Obama recruited, the president I worked for. Uh, because of their expertise, mm-hmm. um, but it was it, it created an awkward situation for him within the de- Republican primary. There. You know, it's
0: funny. Mitt never ever stood, t- took a step back from the fact that what he did in Massachusetts worked for Massachusetts. But he also strongly believed, and probably, and I'm sure, still to this day, believes that it, the Massachusetts plan and the and as it turned into Obamacare, was not the right solution for the country.
1: Do you—just um, uh, one thing I shouldn't let fly by on the, on the, uh, on the uh, gay marriage issue is years later you signed an amicus brief along with a lot of other Republican mm-hmm. leaders uh, in favor of uh, gay marriage. Um, did you—and you must have had that view then— um, how did you work those issues through when you guys were talking about it? Obviously, he's the governor, so he gets he has ninety nine point nine percent of the voting shares. But uh, yeah,
0: um, and I and I didn't sign that brief till I was not working. For right, of course. Longer. Um, and and um, yeah, I mean, I think when you work for somebody you disagree, you know you don't agree with them on every single issue and you have to decide if that issue is so important to you that you have to step away um in this case you know i was able to reconcile that with his position with my position and and work fine in the administration um but then when i was no longer working for mit i i signed the brief and i'm happy that i did
1: so um 2012, um, I was on one side and you were on the other side. Um, the primary campaign, how—it seemed to me that it was a kind of very—it would be what I would used to call a crazy primary until this year, yeah. when it seemed—that seemed like a placid stroll in the park. But, um, you know, in order to win that primary, he had to take us. he took a series of positions, one on immigration, so that— ended up haunting him so how how hard was it to come through that republican primary process in a position to actually compete and win a general election
0: well you know, issues were one issue one thing tact tactics were another i mean and and campaign finance was a third um the way the money flows in primaries taking the issues first of all um, you know, we, we had to play hardball, and we had to, we had, we never, you know, this year I heard a lot of people talk about candidates being in their lane or not being in their lane. When we were running in 2012, everyone was in our lane. Um, you know, we had to get through strong candidacies of Rick Perry, Tim Pawlenty, um, Newt Ging- Gingrich, um, Senator Santorum, and... We played hardball in all of those. And we were very strategic on, you know, what, what, how could we just juxtapose Mitt and his positions against those people? And we did it. Um, And we did it aggressively in the debates. I think there were 22, I may make it off. Um, And yeah, those debates were hard on, and there was a lot of wear and tear to do 22 debates. You remember that from 2008. Um, But they hardened. I think we did 25. Yeah. It's it's, it's, It's it's, brutal. You know, your mind goes a little crazy. Um, but we went into every single, went into every single debate with a strategy, um, against his, against one or more of his opponents who was, um, stronger or weaker in the polls. And we, we, we pushed through that. It went on longer. The super, the exist, the creation of super PACs in 2012 kept a couple candidates who probably would have starved to death under... 20, the the right. Without a Sheldon
1: Adelson, Adelson yeah. uh, gave ten million dollars to a Newt Gingrich pack.
0: Yeah, PAC. yeah.
1: That kept Newt going. Kept him going. Uh, uh, Rick Santorum had a uh, a supporter who kept him going through a super right. pack. Yeah, but you know, I when I was sitting on the other side, uh, I watched those debates obviously pretty carefully. Um, and when I saw, you know, for example, when uh, when when. Uh, Romney was going up against Rick Perry on the immigration issue and did the self-deportation thing and so on. I thought, this is going to hurt in the general election. And it did hurt in the general election. And And the reason I ask is not to rehash old history. It just speaks to, it seems to me, how difficult it is to come through, particularly maybe now more in the Republican Party than the Democratic Party at this juncture in history. That's not to say in the past or in the future wouldn't be different, but to come through the primary process in a way that you can win a general election.
0: It's hard, but it's not impossible. You, you did it in 2008. You came through a brutal primary process. Um,
1: but we didn't have to take positions that compromised us in the general election. You know, our, the, In fact, Obama sort of ran to the right of some of the well, candidates. Well, we may
0: see that happen this year. With um, Senator Clinton having to move more to the left uh, with Bernie Sanders, so you know again, primaries. Your your point is very well taken. Primaries um, push candidates to the to the ends of the spectrum, and the general election. Did is you talk about bothered. that at
1: all? Did you were you guys worried about it?
0: Um. Yeah, I, I mean. Self-deportation wasn't something that we practiced in debate prep, but sometimes candidates say right. things that... People for you know, yeah. I,
1: <laughs> these are human beings, yeah. and everybody makes sort of mistakes, and, uh, you know, that's the first thing you got to know so, when you're doing presidential races. I know exactly... Say, organizations make mistakes. Operatives make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. It's a pressure-filled uh, process.
0: I knew exactly what he was talking about. It wasn't exactly... Um, the the way he he the most articulate way to put forward that position and it was misinterpreted but you know he i think i think Mitch- did you
1: do what i sometimes did like in denver when you guys were when we were debating did you kind of wince when you heard it
0: i uh, you know as as matt rose the campaign manager said we'll need some cleanup on that um, <laughs> Matt's a <laughs> Matt's a guy of understatement. Yes. Right. So, yeah, I mean we we you know, we knew what we had to do in the in the spin room afterwards, but but look, you had to win the primary and it was a long it was a long time. That was that was in September the primary. We were still right. doing debates up until like I broke my arm in February. And Not in debate prep. I no, yeah. but I was going to debate. So it was March or so. I mean, I was at debate preps with my broken arm, so I know it had to be like in March that we had our last one. So we were doing these debates for months and months and months and months, yeah. and um, and then you know you talk then then we we got out of the of the primary season pretty worn worn out. The troops were were looking for some refreshment, and you guys were in a position to take advantage of that um, yeah. tactically because yeah. one we were worn out 2 we we didn't we'd spent a lot of money and the mechanics of, of raising general election money um, required us to to, yeah. to
1: you, we, you wound up raising quite a bit but not in the time frame that you needed to and it gave uh, us the chance to yeah. sort of define mean, the race and define uh, Governor Romney before he could define the race and define himself,
0: right? I mean, we were we were having anvils dropped on our heads, and and you were you were doing it in in two ways. I mean, you were we. I every morning at ten o'clock, I had a strategy meeting in my office, and we would see exactly what what was on the air, pro and con, where it was on, and 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 we looked at the content. And I I was watching um, you know, ads that were running at about three hundred points a week, um, in. In early states or in uh, the swing states that were started in yeah. in the spring, and right. those were devastating ads to l- just laid laid the groundwork um, for what was to come with when you were starting to go up and with heavier. It buys. helps when you
1: don't have a primary. Yeah. I mean, the fact is that Obama didn't have primary competition, and it gave him a, a great advantage in that race. I want to talk about one more thing about 2012, and then I want to talk about where we are today. Uh, you probably would rather talk about 2012 talk about 2000. a little longer, let's, huh? But, um, let's keep that going. Um, the, the, I mentioned Denver. Um, that, going into that Denver debate in 2012, you'd had the 47% uh, comment by Romney that was on tape that was very devastating. Uh, we come into that debate. Um, what, was your, what was the sense within your camp going into that debate? And how did you prepare for that debate? I mean, we obviously didn't prepare very well. So let me just assert that uh, right from the start. I've talked about that a lot. But... We
0: we knew that it was an existential moment for the campaign. And fortunately, we had started preparing that for, for the debates way back in June. Yeah. And
1: so had we. I wish it had worked better for us.
0: <laughs> we were uh, and, and actually I was managing that process. Stuart Stevens was sort of the the um the Mitt Whisperer, but I was I put the structure to it. And um we did a lot we, we were ready to go into that debate. Um yes, there were September was not a, a good month. Um, but Mitt is a very focused thinker and he knew what he had to do and he knew just like in the primaries when he'd walk on those stages he he knew what he had to deliver and he did it
1: you uh you i know i've talked with uh with uh stewart and some other folks from your camp but you knew it, you had a good sense of what obama was going to do i guess rob portman played yeah. him in uh, the rob Sen- was brilliant. senator from ohio uh and uh We started off with what turned out to be a disastrous opening, in which the president acknowledged that it was his anniversary, and uh, you guys doped that all out. Yeah,
0: we had we had um, uh, one of the people who was on our debate, Peter Flaherty, had come up, had said, "Hey, look, guys, you know this is uh, this is the president's anniversary. Twenty anniversary. We got to be ready with this, and." Uh, so we, we were. And, again, we. I give that— the president
1: came out and threw essentially verbal bouquets to uh, Michelle, and Mitt was ready with a line.
0: With a line. And, and that's
1: what debates really are remembered for, are those lines.
0: And it was a gracious line. It was. And um, but it was he funny. Sa- he,
1: yes, I think he said, I'm sure this is exactly how <laughs> you'd hope to spend your anniversary right. here with me.
0: And, and so it was, you know, we—, we Back in the in the green room, we were sort of already we were high fiving on the first moment. Yeah. And, but that you know, as well as that debate went, um, it's you know when you're standing backstage, debates are you know they they're, they're gut Brutal. clenching yeah, yeah,
1: they are. Well, that one was particularly for us. Ten minutes in, if we weren't in, in, in an inside room in an arena, I would have looked for a window <laughs> to jump out of, but there was none available. So Beth, I know that you're. You, you care deeply about the Republican Party and you tar- even more so about the country. Explain to me what's going on in your party right now.
0: Oh, boy. Um, you know, look, I think that there's a lot of people, a lot of Americans who are angry um, and who feel that their government has not delivered for them. And I think that's both... True of people in the Democrat Party and the Republican Party, and we saw we saw we heard some of that in two thousand and twelve and two thousand and eight. And I don't think we listened carefully enough. And uh, they're making their voices known. They are unhappy with the way things are going. They are unhappy with the Republican establishment. And um, it looked like the party elders on both sides were going to put before the the voters. Another rematch of Clinton and Bush, and the voters said no. We're not going to do that. And
1: You were a supporter of Bush.
0: I was a supporter of Jeb Bush. You're
1: well. It's fair to say you you are part of the party establishment. I
0: guess after all these years, I am, mm-hmm. and I think Jeb Bush would have been an excellent president, um, not to be. So what we're seeing is is uh, also a you know it's sort of a change from the conservative movement that I was part of, and. Enervated by, which was really um, unified with foreign pol by was a, there was an economic side, um, a foreign policy side, and a social conservative side. And I think the foreign policy part held it together. And during the Bush year, the George W. Bush years, that started to come apart. And so the party is not as cohesive as it was when I was a younger um, person and coming up through the party ranks. Yeah, I mean, it
1: seems like you've got. Really, really distinct factions: uh, social conservatives, these populists who really were the base for uh, Trump, and then center right, kind of more yeah. Corporate we've oriented. got
0: you know we've got a, you know and and Donald Trump, who will be the nominee, has got his work cut out for him in trying to unify the Republican Party and bring in uh, independent voters in, in and in create a, coali- a winning coalition in enough states that he can win two hundred and seventy one electoral votes.
1: No one has been more outspoken about this than Mitt Romney, who's really been ferocious in his opposition to uh, to Trump. And, you know, said in an interview recently in the uh, Wall Street Journal that his son Josh said to him, what are you going to tell your grandchildren about what you did about Donald Trump, uh, to stop Donald Trump? And, uh, and he is unapologetic about that, uh, feels it's a matter of conscience that... Uh, what 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 do people like you do? and 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 how did you first of all, how did you react to that? Did you talk to him
0: about it? I talked to him at length about it, and I'm very comfortable with his position. Um, he feels that he's putting country over party, and that to me makes sense. Um, he couldn't do it any other way and put his head on a pillow at night. and so I'm completely supportive of of that position. I decided that I wasn't going to play in a presidential. race. I was going race. to ask you how you're sleeping. Yeah, I'm sleeping just fine. Um, <laughs> uh, look, I did two presidential races in a row. It took a lot out of me, and I'm very happy to work um, on some down ballot races this year. Meaning Senate races. Senate races. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, let, let's go back to Trump for a second, though. As someone who cared, no, I mean it's. I know you're you're grimacing <laughs> here, but I mean I'm smiling. I, but it's uh, okay. Smiling, <laughs> smiling with a little bit of a grimace. But I, I, does he represent you? I mean, do, does he represent the Republican Party as far as you're concerned? I know he's don't. I know you're a lawyer. Don't tell me he's a nominee. The nominee, I know. But uh, but I mean, in terms of what you have, what you see as the Republican Party, does he reflect that? And are you comfortable with
0: it? Well, he clearly reflects the. Voters who voted in the republican primaries he he showed strongly in many, many states, and you know the voice the voters were heard um, does he reflect my visions of of america and and the Republican party? no, but
1: do you think he's equipped to be president? yes. <laughs> Okay, let the record show that you gave it a lot of thought yeah. before you answered that question. I think
0: he's he's a different, very different candidate, um, and we will um, we will see.
1: You're pro trade, uh, probably pro uh, immigration reform, uh, as Bush was.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, Im- the immigration system is completely broken, um, and. It has to be fixed. Um, I'm not sure that that I would agree with our nominee's way of fixing it. um, But he definitely articulates um, a feeling that a lot of Americans share.
1: You've also been um, really, and I'll get off this in a second, but I'm just, you know, um, you've been someone who, I, I came to know you after the election. We became great friends. You're on the board of the Institute of Politics. I deeply, deeply respect you and how you approach public life, and so on. And one of the things I respect is your openness um, to diverse voices. Um, one of the things that concerns me, um, not as a partisan, uh, but uh, just as an American, uh, is is this sort of harsh um, kind of divisiveness that we've we've heard. Is that I mean, is that something that concerns you?
0: Yes, of course it is, and. You know when when I look back at the at you know the people that I grew up with in politics, you know, look at Bob Teeter, I mean, we looked at he he said politics is is a profession. it's an honorable profession, and we also have to treat everybody with respect. We're not going to agree with everyone. And I always think that that is the best way to try to find, and you and I've talked about this, try to find the common grounds you have with people that you may disagree with in your party and that you may disagree with across the aisle. Because finding those common grounds will move us forward as a country. Um, Not everyone's going to be happy with that. But you have to seek that out. And you have to find friendship and camaraderie across the aisle and within the party, even if you don't agree. Um, This year, there has been less of that than ever uh, on both sides. And
1: well, Trump just attacked uh, Susanna Martinez, the governor of New Mexico, who's head of the Governors Association, Republican Governors Association, in very, very harsh terms. I mean, that's
0: it's very unfortunate. And Governor Martinez is um, a, a, a successful governor and also part of a coalition, uh, women and Latinas that. That our party needs in order to win in in November.
1: Let me ask you: You're doing these Senate races, and you're doing uh, you're involved in states that are competitive. Uh, are you worried about the effect that uh, that uh, Trump is going to have on your candidates?
0: You know, I think it's always um, presidential years are always. I'm working in two states that that um, are swing states, and. Those are always tougher years. New Hampshire and Ohio. Yeah, and and those are really tough years to run in when you're uh, either a Republican or a Democrat. It, it's it's always um, you know much more of a jump ball. And well, is he going to
1: make it harder or easier?
0: I don't know. I, I don't. I think you know uh, he uh, Donald Trump lost in Ohio in the Ohio primary to Governor Kasich, but he won in New Hampshire. So in some states, I think he'll he'll show very strongly. And in, in others, maybe less so. But um, anytime there's, there's someone at the top of the ticket, you, you know, there's, there's pros and cons.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I was struck by Kelly Ayotte's handling of the Trump question because she said, well, I support him, but I, I don't endorse him. And it just, to me, underscored sort of the difficulty that his candidacy is posing for a lot of Republicans in that he's the top of the ticket, chosen by the voters, and yet, there's some level of discomfort with them.
0: Yeah, and and, and uh, Speaker Ryan had the same ambivalence. And today, he endorsed um, uh, Donald Trump. Donald Trump. And look, the, there is an there. The, the, when change happens, um, people have to give it some thought. And change is absolutely happening in the Republican Party. I think at Thanksgiving will will know a little bit better whether this was change for the good or change for the bad.
1: Well, let me ask you. Uh, about uh, something about yourself since since we've gotten to know each other and since we become friends, you went through a health mm-hmm. issue that was pretty serious, and pro- and you know you confronted uh, as we all do at time at what eventually the issues of mortality and so right like. has that changed your view of what of politics at all? Does it change the way you approach politics or? Um,
0: Probably. Um, first of all, it, it it definitely made me not want to get on airplanes uh, and run around at the speed of a light life. for mm. yeah. I mean, I, I you know I I had a, a stroke in in August of 2014 in the middle. I was working on a couple races then, and um, it's very fortunate that it it really didn't leave me with any deficits, but it 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 did uncover that I have a brain disease that leads me prone to having more. Brain bleeds in the future or not? Um, I live. Try to live a much healthier lifestyle, and living a healthy lifestyle doesn't does not allow me to. Um, work on a presidential campaign because as you know it's probably the least healthy lifestyle when yeah. you, you know you you get several hours of sleep um, a day on for months on end and stress levels are really high and I gained about 30 food. pounds during yeah. the
1: 2008 I almost had my own zip code by the end of that campaign so yes <laughs> I I know what you're talking about but,
0: but yeah I think what you're asking me does it does it change the way I you know the, the seriousness and I I think I all you know I I, I I look more towards the future and and how and the urgency of making sure we get this country right. The, you know, the American experiment is a really tricky thing. It, it,
1: I think, as we're testing,
0: right? But it's been tested many yes, times over and before, over, yes. and every time that the American experiment has been tested in the past, it's it's worked, and it works because there's a compact between the people that we always are going to do the right thing for the country. And when push comes to shove, we all rise to that that occasion. Yeah. And making sure that that we're still doing that is really important. I, l- I saw the the play Hamilton, as corny yeah, as that sounds. And you know, y- it reminds the 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 brilliance of, of of that play in in pointing out that, that this was a crazy idea, this country, right. and that there was no guarantee that it was going to work. And that somehow Americans who are as different as you and I are in our beliefs have pulled together um, consistently to make it work. Um, yeah, when I when you know your mortality flashes before your eyes, first thing you think of, of course, is your family. Right. Um, but when when things settle down a little, um, the importance of of giving your all to things that matter and are going to leave a lasting. Um, mark and the world, uh, are important, and American democracy is high on my list.
1: I think uh, what I also think, you know, I always think about the sacrifices that my family has made for my involvement in politics, and we've gone through health issues ourselves that were Mm -hmm. pretty serious, and um, and it does, you know, when you do these things, as you point out, they're very, very important, and they're all enveloping. And then things like this happen, and you say, "You know what? They're actually, you know, as important as those things are. I've got great kids. I've got a wonderful family, and I've got a finite amount of yeah. time. And, uh, and
0: where you put that matters, you know, matters a lot more. I spent a lot more time than I did before was in spiritual contemplation. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, when you're when I was working in a presidential campaign, never had time for that." And that was a huge mistake. That you know, you always have to have time for, for that. Um, but but also, but you know, it, it does putting that the re-pri- reprioritization of my life. But the other part aside. is true too. It yeah. does
1: remind you that um, there are bigger things than what generally dominates the the debate that we see on television uh, these days. There are real consequences yeah. to these decisions. As you point out, democracy is a fragile—it's a fragile thing. America has been incredibly durable, uh, but uh, these are these are challenging times. So um, we should leave it at your um, essentially your prayer there, which is that the American people always pull through at the end and do um, and do what's right, Absolutely. And do what they think is right, and, and, and I th- they and, and, I and think they will. They don't and always get it right, but they. But I think they take it pretty seriously in the end.
0: We might go off track a little bit, but but as a people, we've we've shown this remarkable ability to pull it together. So I have comp- I have faith that it'll happen.
1: Well, one of the things that um, strengthens my faith, which is pretty deep in all of this, is to get to know people like you, who with whom I have disagreements, uh, but who I admire so much, and uh, it's been a real gift to get to know you after the last. Uh, after the last campaign, and I'm so grateful for what you've done for the Institute of Politics on our board as a fellow, as a role model for a lot of our students. So, Beth Myers, thank you so much.
0: Thank you. You're very gracious, and I have enjoyed my involvement with University of Chicago to the nth degree, and thank you for having me. here. Thank you for listening to The Axe Files, part of the CNN Podcast Network. For more episodes of The Axe Files, visit cnn.com slash podcast and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite app. And for more programming from the University of Chicago Institute of Politics, visit politics.uchicago.edu.